just to free download from Dad Lancy Leland Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Lancy Leland Church building. Out the bank, in the Chamber of Lions of Guernsey. Contact us or find out more information about us. Please visit our website at um, for those of you who are, are visiting with us, uh, Amanda is, is working with YWAM, which is a missions organization in Belize, and she's out there for two years um, working as part of the team and doing administration, a bit of media, lots of things, organizing teams, etc. And um, there was a hurricane this week um, in Belize on Wednesday evening, was it Wednesday evening, I think it was, and... Um, Amanda sent out some, some prayer requests, so we were praying hard that they would be protected. And, and everybody is safe, which is a really amazing answer to prayer. And we just praise God that everybody is okay and, and everyone is safe. But there's been a lot of devastation in terms of the, the buildings and the structures. I think it's um, generally, basically, all the piers, all the docks in Belize have been hit. So they've either been completely wiped out or um, they've been partly damaged. So there's lots and lots... Uh, of work to be done over there and actually the YWAM's base itself I don't know if you've seen some of the pictures that Amanda's been posting of the dock and where they um, eat dinner and, and there's a special name for that I'm not sure what it is but that um, place has also been completely destroyed so the beautiful place where they you know go down in the dock and they have devotions there they do worship there it's all sorts um, so all that's been destroyed and, and they have to um, do it again. I have got some, uh, Wendy's given us some pictures here, um, and I'm not sure you'll, you'll be able to see them from where you're sat, but I will put them up on the board at the back, um, just to give you a bit of an idea of, of the devastation that's happened, and this is some of their accommodation as well that's been damaged, so I'll put those up over there. Um, I've also put on the board, just at the back there, um, uh, a YWAM website that you can go on as well to have a look at some of the pictures and see the updates there um, if you want to copy that down. But I think it would be really good for us to pray for Amanda and the team out there. Um, they've got a lot of work to do, um, but also we want to continue to pray for their, their protection and their safety um, just from you know the natural elements as well as other stuff. So uh, shall we pray together um, whilst we're here? Father God, we just want to thank you so much um, for Amanda, Lord, and we thank you for the call on her life, and Lord, we thank you that you've taken her to Belize, um, and I thank you for the time that she's having there and, and the effectiveness of her ministry out there. And uh, Lord, it's great to hear all the positive, wonderful things that are happening um, through YWAM. And uh, Lord, we just give you massive praise and thanks for that. And uh, Lord, we just want to thank you so much. We're so grateful that you protected everybody uh, this week through the storms, and uh, we thank you for their safety. But Lord God, we just continue to pray for that and we pray lord that you would just be a protection over all the people there in belize lord and that you would just especially be close to amanda and any times of anxiety or any times of difficulty i pray that she might know that you are her strength and her shield um, lord god that you are the one that protects her at all times and i pray that she may know today the support and encouragement from us here her family here as well so lord we just pray for this island and we pray that it would get back um, and, and be restored really soon and that you would just bring in the finances and bring in the expertise and the skills and everything that's needed um, just to get these buildings, these structures back again um, so that things can just be running smoothly. 
We really do pray today um, that you would just be with the YWAM team, all the different people out there doing an amazing work for you. Just be really close to them, I pray, in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Um, like I said, if you do want to go to the back and have a look at the pictures or jot down the website, also um, Amanda does do uh, daily kind of like blogs and, and photos. And if you want to be part of that, come and see me or Wendy and Gareth as well. We can link you in with that. Also as well, um, you know, we have Emily out in Cambodia. And I've just put her um, address up there because she's recently done a blog about... Um, how she's settling in and it might be interesting for you guys to read um, as well I think she's being eaten alive by the mosquitoes but um, so I've just put the website up there for you to have a look at um, and that you can go on okay thanks a lot okay Joshua chapter 5 we'll be looking at the book of Joshua I just want to a lot of things I didn't really manage to get to last time I'll try and be able to I, was, I guess so far then I can't seem to get any further uh, but I kind of left us at Jericho last time, if you remember. You were, I kind of, you were stuck in Jericho, so I want to kind of uh, get you beyond Jericho. Just to chapter 5. Before I get to Jericho, there's just a, something that happened just before Jericho that I thought was very kind of significant for us. For some reason, I was, I was looking in the New Testament. I, I did a wedding yesterday, so I'm still, my mind's still sort of uh, a bit fuzzy. But uh, Joshua chapter 5, verse 9. What, what has that got to? I do not know. But anyway, uh, Joshua 5, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, The day, this day I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. So, this is one of the, I think last week we looked at that wonderful subject of circumcision. Remember that? A couple of weeks ago we looked at that. Uh, I don't want to go into that. Uh, but literally before the children of Israel went into Jericho, it's interesting this phrase here. I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And that word reproach actually means, it means blame. It means disgrace. It means shame. I think actually, before sometimes we can go into a place to be effective for God, it's interesting, I think the biggest thing that we struggle with often is how we see ourselves. That is such a major barrier to God doing a work in us. It's often how we see ourselves. And God said, before you really come into a place of victory and conquest, you've got to deal with how you see yourself. That word reproach means shame. People carry shame on their lives. And it's the shame, the way we see ourselves, and we've talked a lot about that, but this sense of of living in a sense of shame and condemnation actually affects you being effective for God. And God said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to remove the reproach, because you think about it, there were slaves in Egypt. And part of that slavery mentality is a sense of shame. They felt ashamed of the fact that they were under the rule and control of another nation that made them work as slaves. And that shame was inside them. And God says, you can never really be a conqueror. You can never really overcome things until you deal with shame. How did he say he removed it? He says he he lifted it off. He, He removed the reproach. 
He removed the shame from their hearts. And I think the greatest way to read, and we could go into this in great, greater detail, but let me just briefly say this, that the way sometimes we've got to lift shame off our lives is, is to know how powerfully we're forgiven. We heard that word earlier. We've got to let that reality of forgiveness, the forgiveness of God, the blood of Jesus in his power and his awesomeness, to get right into the depth of our being and to know above all else, Lord, thank you today, I'm forgiven. You've dealt with my past, you've removed my shame. And it's only when, I'm not talking about something you know in your head, I'm talking something that you write in the depth of your heart. You know every past mistake, every failure, every sin, every area of disappointment and failure in your life, you know it's been dealt with and removed. And out of that removal, once you really know that revelation in the depth of your heart, it's then you're able to come into victory. I think the, the root, what the enemy puts in many hearts, is the root of condemnation. Many live under a sense of condemnation. Constantly accused and living on the power of their past. Reproach over their lives. Blame. Shame. And they can never be victorious in their life because of that shame. And God just tells you today, I've rolled it away. Totally, you think about it, some of this rolled, is, it means to be totally removed. As if it's never existed, if you like. That's what the actual word means. And God says, I've removed your past, your failure, the shame of your past. I've removed it as if it never, ever existed. And now, you can be victorious. Can you say amen? And if you go down to verse 12, I just want to deal with a few things before we get to Jericho. But I think this is a great revelation here. It says in verse 12, Then the manna ceased on the day after it had been eaten. The produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they had food in the land of Canaan that year. Oh, that's amazing. I'll tell you why that's amazing. The word manna means, what is it? The sort of thing that husbands ask their wives. No, no, no I want to joke uh, What is it? No, I'm only joking. Uh, but that's what the word manna means. What is it? And they had that, so basically manna, manna, manna every day. Morning manna, evening manna, breakfast, dinner, you know, manna, 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 manna. Everyone is manna, manna, which was, which was supernaturally supplied and God poured it down, poured it out. Now when they enter into the promised land, it says the manna ceased. So in the wilderness it was produced supernaturally. Now when they enter into the promised land, now they have to sow seeds to get the land. They've got to dig. They've got to do certain things to get the produce of the land. I kind of like this thought. It's quite interesting. How many have ever had this sense of, here's the good news and here's the bad news? How many have read that? I mean, once someone did that, he said, he left, an, he, left a, he left something on my answer machine. He says, John, I've got good news and bad news for you. And for 10 minutes, he spurned off the bad news. And then he says, the good news is, and the moment he said that, amazingly was, he just cut off. So all I got was the bad news. So I asked the phone, I said, thank you for the bad news, but what was the good news? And the good news was pretty amazing. But, but the point is often, God almost the same to children of Israel. Here's the good news. You can have houses that you haven't had to labor for. The bad news is, you've got to go and conquer it and, enter, and battle for it. And often in the things of God, when you enter into this, I want you to get a picture of this, because I think what God does often in our lives, God, as he did with them, God took the, what was natural 
And through the natural, he made something supernatural. And God takes natural things we have, and as we allow him to work through them, what is natural becomes supernatural. Better sow seeds in the ground. And even though they sowed the seeds in the ground, the product of that was supernatural. They had supernatural growth, if you like. And I think with us, God takes what is natural. He takes natural abilities, natural talents, natural resources, if you like, and he puts his spirit upon those natural things. And what, become, what was natural now takes on a new supernatural realm. Haven't you found that? Something that you were naturally gifted at, now God puts his hand and his touch and his anointing upon it. And now it becomes something so supernatural. It begins to have incredible effects. That's why the Bible says that when you sow, you reap. Now often we look at that from a negative point, but I think it's incredible spiritual things. As I sow naturally, I reap supernaturally. Wherever I sow, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an ability of God to come upon it and make it something so supernatural. For example, you may sow something that seems so small, and yet when God gets a hold of it, the result that comes back to you is far beyond what you gave. Only you found that. Because there's something powerful about allowing God to use what is natural and so he can cause it to be something amazingly supernatural. Amen? So let's get to Jericho. Okay, chapter 5. Sorry, chapter 6. Have you thought about that's what Jesus did with the feeding of the 5,000? He took five loaves and three fishes where it was and he took what was natural and it became what? Supernatural. I love that. I mean, love that. I just love what God does with... God takes ordinary things and does something extraordinary with it. I love it. Anyway, Joshua chapter 6. And I kind of touched on this a little bit last time. But verse 1 of Joshua chapter 6. And it says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because the children of Israel went out and none came in. I kind of term this almost as an impossible enemy. Ever had an impossible enemy. Something, if you like, that seems impossible. Something that we've lived for for a long time. Something that seems to have fortified itself against us. Something that you've stared at, something you've looked at in your life, and it never seems to change. Something that you've had for many, many years. Some circumstance. Something in your life that, no matter how much you seem to, to, to look at it, folks, it never, ever seems to change. It seems to be constantly there, never dealing with, never being dealt with. It could be a family problem, it could be a problem in the marriage, it could be something in your own life, something you never seem to be able to overcome. It's almost an impossible enemy, something you seem to have lived with for many, many years, and, and it doesn't seem to change, it doesn't seem to alter. 
could be a man, it could be some sickness, something that you kind of can't seem to come through. An impossible circumstance, an impossible... A family situation, no matter how much you've maybe prayed, doesn't seem to have changed, doesn't seem to have altered. And I want to look at maybe the story of Jericho and just give us a few encouragements, a few things that maybe will help us to deal with an impossible enemy. I want you to see the first thing that, that, that took place. It says in verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, I want you to see this, I want you to see, 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 I have given Jericho into your hand, its kings and the mighty man of valor. In other words, he says, see. Now, when he said see, he didn't mean just look at the problem. He says see. In other words, look at me, basically. He was telling him to to, to look, to focus at the right thing. Because listen to what he said. This is powerful. He said, I've given it into your hands. Now, right there, that moment, how many realized he hadn't been given into their hands? But he said, see, this is how you see, you see, I've given it into your, it's yours, I've given it to you. I think I shared last time, five words we need to get into the depth of our hearts. The battle is not yours. The battle is whose mine. How does that revelation really happen? It happens when we really see the victory and the battle has already been won. Jesus has already won. All we do is we enter into what all what he has already won and what he's already defeated. That's all we're doing. We're just receiving, we're coming into what he's already won. That's a battle that you don't fight, is that right? You don't fight a battle that's already won. Is that true? Wouldn't that be stupid to fight a battle that's already won? And yet so often, we're striving and struggling to win things that have already been won. But when my perspective changes, when I see what I'm facing, that Jesus already faced it and defeated it, it changes my whole concept of what I'm facing, my circumstance. Is that right? If I see he's already defeated it, then all I'm doing is entering into the victory he's already won. I think one of the stories we heard over this conference went over the last few days, and it kind of struck me because I, I think I may have shared it before. How that I hate no, I hate. I wouldn't. I put it this way: if I if I watch something and I know my team lost, then I'm not going to watch it. I'm really not going to watch it. If I already know they've lost, I'm not going to watch it. And I don't really like to watch something. But I don't know the result over. I find it too pressurised. How many remember, remember the European Championships? That so stressed me out. And I, I'd rather have known the result before I watched it. Which means I wouldn't have watched it. How <laughs> many have found that? And it's great to know the result already. It's so, so relaxing when you already know that they've won. And it's so awesome to just do that. I think it's wonderful to know that what we're facing, the battle has already taken place and I know who won. So when I see it from that perspective, it changes how I see the problem. It changes how I see the circumstance. An author called Watchman Nee, how many have ever read Watchman Nee? He wrote a book, he's wrote a lot of books, and I love his, I love his books. It's one book, and it seems strange title. It's Sit, Walk, Stand. 
Now, how many would have thought that the title would be different? First of all, you kind of stand, then you walk, then you sit. And his book was based on the book of Ephesians. He based on the book of Ephesians. And he, and he realised this, that the book of Ephesians doesn't begin with a stand, it doesn't begin with a walk, it begins by taking your seat. In other words, it starts with this verse. You are seated together in the heavenly places with Christ. And that's how the Christian life begins. It doesn't begin with standing. It doesn't begin with walking. It begins with learning to sit. And you'll never really learn to stand with God. You'll never learn to to walk with God until you first learn to be seated with Christ. Until you understand that he's already done it. And the word seating means, means he's resting in the victories already won. And we're resting in the victories won. And so out of that realisation, out of that revelation, I then begin to walk with God and I stand with God. And, G- and God says, set your vision on the fact I've already won. Let that be your perspective. Second thing he did was, you may remember this, they had to walk round seven times. Now each time they walked round, that was one mile. So they're walking around seven miles a day. And almost what, what they were doing, and I think this is what kind of gets my concept, is as, as they were looking at that impossible situation through allowing the word of God to impact that situation. In other words, God has said to them, this is yours, this belongs to you. And so they were, if you like, taking the word of God and allowing that word to be released upon that circumstance, that situation. And I think that's awesome. I'd encourage you, whatever circumstance you've got, take the word of God and take a walk around your problem with the word. Never take a walk around your problem without the word. But rather, take that problem and begin to walk around that problem, if I put it that way, with the word of God and begin to declare that word over that problem and you just keep walking around. Continually. You just keep walking around declaring that word into that situation. I, and I remember so many times in my life where we face circumstances that my wife cries out, give me a word for this situation. Because I know the moment I've got the word in that situation, that situation is going to change. And so it's taking the word of God and applying it to that circumstance. And he says, walk round. When you think about it, how many know that once you get the word of God on a situation, it will never appeal to your logical mind? What God will say to you often is totally and utterly illogical. How many, how many, is that true? The very word he gives you seems the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard in your life. I mean, you think about it. Here they are, how do we take Jericho? You know, maybe we get a few battering rams and, I know, we may throw fiery arrows over it. Now God says, no, what you need to do is walk around seven times in total silence. I mean, that seems the most ridiculous thing you could ever think. And I found often when God speaks, a true word of God will always need God to bring it about. And that means that God sees your situation from a heavenly perspective. It originates in heaven. It's a totally different if you like, perception. Which means we have to change the way we think. If we keep thinking naturally, we're going to miss what God wants us to do. 
And so it means I've got to change, I've got to adjust the way I think, because the Bible says that his thoughts are not my thoughts, his ways are not my ways. So I've got to adjust, I've got to renew the way that I think. Because God lives in the impossible realm. In his realm, limbs can grow back. In his realm, sight can be restored. In his realm, all manner of sicknesses, emotional disorders can be healed in the realm of God. I don't even want to live in that realm. So we've got to adjust the way that we think to deal with often the situations we face. And it says, they walked around in silence. You know why I think that was? I think that if they'd been allowed to talk, they would have talked themselves out of the problem. They would have talked themselves out of the miracle. They would have looked at all. How are we going to do that? How and so the more they... Everybody found that, that you pray over something and then you talk yourself out of it after you've stopped praying. It's almost sometimes we talk ourselves out of the answer. We talk about the problem, we talk about difficulties, how hard it is. And the more that we talk, the more our faith begins to just... And so he said, don't say anything. I find that's a good answer. Learn, just stop. Don't say it. Just don't say anything. Because sometimes learn say, God... I'm just going to say what you say. And so he made them walk round in absolute, total silence. I think another reason why he did that is this. Doesn't it seem the most ridiculous thing of all that you walk round a wall, you walk round a fortified city seven times and it falls down? Now think about this. If they'd have done it through their strategy... If they'd have done it because they had a great army, if it had been a kind of easy place to take down, they would have taken the glory for it. And we can see that. But because they did it totally depending on a miracle, God got all the glory. They couldn't say it's because of their clever fighting. They couldn't say it's because of their strategies. Only God could have done it. And I found this time and time again. Often God brings us to a point of weakness so that we can learn to depend on him to do what only he can do. Sometimes you'll pray for something and sometimes God will bring you to a point where where you come to a total end of yourself. And often that's the point where God works. You think about it. If I'm going to get a miracle, that means I need a miracle. That means if I need a miracle, that I have no human resources to produce that miracle. Because if human resources could produce it, then it wouldn't be a miracle. Can you see that? And so God comes, brings you to a point where you need an absolute miracle. And I found it time and time again. Throughout the Bible you see this. God is about to use Moses to bring the whole Egyptian force down. How does he tell Moses to do it? He does it with a rod. David defeats Goliath. How does he defeat him? With a stone. Gideon has an army of 3,000. So God says to Gideon, I've got a great idea how you're going to defeat. How are you going to defeat the Midianites? You've got too many people. Let's reduce it. And he reduced it to 300. And the army he was facing had 10,000. So God reduced it to perform the miracle. So every time people could say, that was not me that did it, but God. I love Catherine Coleman. And you, you hear time and time, I love that woman's ministry. One thing she used to say was, Jesus, unless you turn up, this meeting is finished. 
I can't do anything in this meeting until you turn up. And I think time and time again, we've got to learn to be, we've got to put ourselves in the position and say, God, unless you do it, it's not going to happen. Many times we, this whole idea of making ourselves vulnerable is something that doesn't work. It's almost God pours strength in weakness. It seems so contrary, but his strength is manifest, not in our strength, but is manifest in our weakness. It's almost his strength combines with our weakness to produce his strength. And I think time and time again, God works that in this incredible way, bringing us to a point where so many things that we've been relying in, things that we've been trusting in, thinking, things that we've been putting time and effort into, things that we've relied on so much are suddenly kicked away. And we don't quite know what God is doing. But the reason why he's doing it is that so we learn to totally rely on him. Someone said this, I've never forgotten this. He said that every Christian should have a supernatural explanation for their life. In other words, I look at you and say, how do you do that? How come you've got so much peace... When I know what you're going through, you should, be, you should have fallen apart by now. How come you've got so much joy when I know what you're going through? That is a, I have no other explanation because you are a supernatural explanation that I cannot explain. You're, I, look at you, I look at your life and I can't explain it naturally. And I think that's the way God wants us to be. They're almost the only answer that people can look as they look at us, is a supernatural explanation. We don't make natural sense. Shouldn't we be like that? But we actually make no sense because of the supernatural workings of God in our life. Now, so they're walking around all this time. You know what struck me as I thought about that also? The power of consistency. You know, every day, walking around. Walking around in silence, seven miles. Every day you keep doing it. Day in, day out. Now remember, they don't know it's going to be seven days. It could have been months for all they knew, but every day. I think the thing that can so often limit people's lives often in things of God is inconsistency. You know, one minute, yeah, we're, going to, we're doing this, we're going to pray, and we're going to, you know, we've got these kind of thrusts of fire. But it never lasts. The power of consistency is the key to so much. It's almost keeping doing what I'm doing. I keep praising. I keep in the word. I keep praying. I keep doing the things that I keep doing day in, day out. It's consistency, moment by moment. Not just when I'm feeling good. Not just when things are going right. But I keep doing it day in, day out. I keep consistent in the things God has called me to do. And as I have that consistency, then I allow God to come into my circumstances. And then when they came to the wall, on that seventh day, the Bible says they gave one incredible shout. And when they shouted, the wall, the walls just completely collapsed. It was a shout. It's interesting in the Bible. There are times, you know how many times the Bible tells the people of God to praise? Tells them to praise with a Shout. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. There's something about shouting praise. If you ever go to any sports events, people tend not to sort of politely clap. How many have found that? They 
shout. Because there's a, an excitement there. Because they're putting energy into what they're seeing. How much more should there be that kind of energy in our Christian lives? That there's an energy of praise. And we exclaim, we applause, and we praise who God is. We praise what he's doing. And it's almost through the praise, God comes in. We talk so much about that, but I think praise is so vital for a Christian life to be successful and to be effective. Praise has got to be very much part of what you do on a continual day-to-day basis. Praise him when you're feeling good. Praise him when you don't feel so good. You just praise him continually. I think there's something powerful that when there's tears rolling down your eyes and everything's falling apart, you just lift your hands and you just begin to praise. And in the midst of that, I guarantee God's presence will always come. Because there's something about the sacrifice of praise that brings the promises of God alive in a person's life. Okay. To move, let's move on very quickly. I'm going to turn to Joshua chapter 7 and maybe I'll close with this one. It's an interesting one. I'll just read a part of the verse because the words are too hard to pronounce. So. <laughs> it says in verse 1, The children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed thing. And it says that uh, they... They took the accursed thing, so the anger of, of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. In verse 2, Now Joshua sent from Jericho to Ai, which is behind Bethan, at the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up, spy out the country. So the men went up and spied up out, out Ai, Ai, Ai. And when they returned, Joshua said to them, Do not let all the people go up, but let two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not be weary. All the people are there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up from there from the people, but they fled before the, before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men as they chased them before the gates as far as Shebarim, and struck them down on the descent, therefore. The hearts of the people melted, and they became like water. You think about this. this is kind of, you think they've defeated them as fortified city, right? And now they come to face a very, very small kind of tribe, a very small group of people, and they are defeated. And I just thought some of the reasons of their failure. Why did they fail? Why did they fail to take, not take Ai, yet actually take Jericho? In fact, this is the only recorded battle in the whole of Joshua they were defeated. Why were they defeated there and not anywhere else? And I just want to just maybe put down some of the failures which I think we can sort of learn from. Here's the first thing. Self-confident. They thought, it's only a small city. How can we lose? I think some of the, the biggest places where we can fail actually is in a place of success, in a place of victory. That we get a victory and we then think sometimes it's because of, because of us we got the victory and then we become overconfident. Self-confidence. That's the massive big thing that we need to somehow break from. This confidence in self, this confidence in our own ability, rather than learning the power of complete trust 
and reliance on God. God was not going to allow them to win a victory that was depending on them. They had to continually learn the lesson that they had to be relying on him. Whether it's a big thing or a small thing. It's often the small things that we don't learn to rely on God. And some of those are things that we need to rely on God for. Because sometimes it's the small things, the little foxes that what destroy the vine. And we can see that. And so much learning, Lord, without you, and apart from you, I can't do anything. I need your grace. I need your ability for every circumstance, for every situation in life. And they, lo- they basically lost the reliance on God and thought they could do it themselves. And the moment they tried to do it themselves, they fell flat on their faces. Here's a second reason. There's no record, this is the only time there's no record of that, they neglected not to pray. They didn't pray. And because they didn't pray, they failed to wait on God. I found this, that if prayer really isn't the very centre of our lives, then we're never really going to be victorious. Victory always is found on our knees. You think about it, if I'm not praying about it, then whose strength, am, whose strength am I doing it in? If I'm not praying about that, then whose strength am I doing that situation in? How am I dealing with that problem? How am I facing that circumstance if I'm not praying about it? Whose wisdom am I relying on? Whose strength am I relying on? Whose power am I relying on if I'm not praying about it? Never thought about that. And so they failed simply because they did not pray. Here's the next thing. They turned, they looked to a method rather than to a relationship. I think so often we get, ever did something and it worked, that's amazing. And you try it again and it doesn't work. Ever found that? So maybe you thought you, you, you tried something and that was amazing. And you think, yeah God, that's the way I do it. And you do it and it just doesn't work. Because God never wants you and I to be reliant on a method. He always wants you to rely on relationship. You see all the battles through Joshua. They didn't win the battle the same any time. Never won it the same any time. Jesus never healed people the same way. Did you notice that? Sometimes he spit on them. That's an interesting one. Sometimes he would just grab them by the hand. He would heal people in multiple ways. You can never look at the healing ministry of Jesus and find a method. You may find principles, but you won't find method. Where did it come out of? It came out of relationship with Father. He spent time with Father, and out of time with Father, he went and began to heal. My constant prayer is I want to know the ways of the Holy Spirit. To learn his ways. To begin to follow the way the wind blows. And my constant prayer is, Holy Spirit, show me your ways. What are your ways? Teach me the ways of the Spirit. And there's something about the ways of the Spirit that will be so contrary to the way that we naturally think. I think most of what God wants to do can only be spiritually perceived. That's where it begins. That's the root of it. And the next one was quite obvious. Look at verse 11. He says, Israel has sinned and they've also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived and have put it among their own stuff. That was Achan, if you remember. He, he took something that belonged to God and hid it. And because of that, they were defeated. 
And I was looking at that word. The word accursed thing means a devoted thing. Something that was meant to be set apart for God. So really, disobedience caused them to lose. I think someone really get a hold of today. Sometimes we can hold on to things that God wants us to let go of. I've seen often lives being ruined and destroyed because sometimes they want to hold on to something they're unwilling to let go of. Something that really ultimately is his. It belongs to him. And God says, I want you to kind of let go of it. That's the essence, really, of obedience is sometimes letting go of the things God wants us to let go of. Hold on to it, but beginning to let go. Who thought about this? That that one man, it wasn't, remember, it wasn't all the people that did it, it was one man that did it. And because of one man's sin, everybody else was affected. Sin never works in isolation. Do you realize that? It always affects somebody else. People are always affected. In other words, things affect atmospheres. There's something about an atmosphere. When people are on fire for God, there's an amazing, how many found there's an amazing atmosphere? When there's heaviness, it affects atmospheres. And God recognises that the moment there's, a, there's an atmosphere over your life, that's why you need to praise. Because the, it's the garment of praise that lifts the spirit of... Because your heaviness affects atmosphere. And so you need to lift that heaviness, not just for yourself, but so it doesn't affect anybody else. Everybody in the room, and you think, it's a heavy atmosphere. Does anyone say, this is a bad atmosphere? You just sense it, you know it, you can sense it. And I think what God wants us to do is to actually be a people who change atmospheres. It may be a heavy atmosphere, but when you go in, you lift it. It's suddenly a joyful atmosphere. It's suddenly a peaceful atmosphere. It's a a transformed atmosphere. You don't add to the heaviness, you change it. You move it. That's why it's so vital that corporately as the people of God come together, as this true powerful praise, it affects atmospheres. Because what we do actually does have incredible effect on everything else. I think to myself, when I think of this story, that how come, in other words, when, the, let me put this up, when this guy did this, it's evidence, really, that he wasn't really close to God. He wasn't really, really close to God. And I think that often, if we feel right... Let me put it this way. I'll describe it. I can see it better this way. The, if they were defeated, what did Joshua did? He could have just put it down. To, he said, oh, well, never mind. We'll go on to the next place. But he didn't do that. He says, what is the reason for this defeat? Why did we lose? What was the reason for it? And sometimes we need to have an honest look at our hearts. I, mean, I don't mean we, we spend most of our life introspective, but I do mean sometimes we've got to look. Why did that thing defeat me? Why do I why did I react the way I reacted? Why aren't I seeing? Why aren't I feeling the closeness to God that I once used to feel? Why haven't I got the joy that I once knew? Why haven't I got the peace that I once experienced? Why isn't my life in that place it once was? 
And sometimes we need to examine our hearts honestly and say, God, is there something in me that's blocking what you want to do? And that means we've got to be like Joshua, God. Help me to honestly access my heart, to be honest before you. Is there something in me that you want to deal with? And because Joshua got honest with God and says, God, what was the reason for that defeat? Why did we lose it? What was wrong? God was able to come and show him. It's interesting. God just said to him, get up. Where are you playing? Go on. They sort it out. You should have realized it. And the point is, God in these days is saying, look, if you, are, if you haven't got the fire that you should have, find out why. Don't carry on with a cold heart. If you're not seeing the promises of God being released in your life as I know you should be, find out why. If you've lost the peace you once knew, the joy you once had, begin to find out why. And you know what? God will always be honest. Let me found that. And he will show things. Because sometimes we can't see things unless he shows it to us. Often so many things that we'll never see it unless he shows it to us. And so when you say, God, show me. Is it a barrier? Is it something you want me to deal with? I'm open honest. And if you do that, God will really work and move in your life. So let's stand right now. Let's just come before him. Thanks, Just lift your heart to the Lord right now. Let's spend a few moments right now, right there. Just for maybe this morning, is there a Jericho? An impossible circumstance that doesn't seem to move, that doesn't seem to be pulled down. Is there some Jericho in some aspect of your life? And I just feel today, God is wanting us to see the walls begin to come down. See those walls, those things that maybe we've contended for for a long time. And God says to you today, see, I've given it into your hands. It's yours. Just believe it and just receive it know that I've already won and begin to enforce over that circumstance, over that situation the victory I've won right now and just see it in your, in your mind eye, that, whatever that is right now and begin to speak to that wall just begin to speak to these moments Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.